Welcome to Church Sync, the show that examines uh, evangelical church culture. I'm your host, W.R. Harris. Today we have a uh, very special episode. We have with us uh, Dave Ebert. Did I pronounce your last name correctly? Yes. Um, Dave uh, is going to do our first um, interview show, and so I'm really excited about that. Uh, just a little bit about Dave. I'm going to introduce him real quick, and then we'll uh, get going. But um, Dave Ebert is a credentialed minister, improviser, improv coach, speaker, and host of the Gifts for Glory podcast, a show featuring testimonies of faith and how the guests are using their gifts for God's glory. Dave rededicated his life to God in January 2013, and shortly thereafter, he re relocated back to the, uh, the Chicago suburbs, where he spent the last eight years using his gifts for God's glory. He founded the Wellverse Comedy Improv Ministry team in 2013, and he has been performing clean comedy all over Chicago land since. Since 2018, Dave has been using his passion for God and comedy and teaching improv to sex trafficking survivors. Dave has a passion for using the healing power of God honoring comedy. So again, Dave, um, thanks for being here. And yeah. Uh, yeah, how are you doing this morning or this afternoon? I'm doing really good. Uh, it's been a really good day and uh, uh, just looking forward to winter passing us by and uh, seeing spring around the corner. Yeah, well, I, I live in Houston, so uh, my oh. <laughs> weather is very, very different from yours. Uh, we've got 70, 70 degree weather today. Um, so very much different. Okay, uh, we'll get into it. Um, so I wanted to talk uh, about, you know, mental health issues. You've had some um, experience with mental uh, health issues, specifically mm -hmm. depression. I talk a lot about that. I've done a lot of writing about that. Um, so I really wanted to talk specifically about that. Um, so just give us a little background uh, about yourself, specifically, how did you come to know Jesus and what has been your experience with depression? Sure. Um, my first encounter really with Christ was uh, when I was a sixth grader or the summer before my sixth grade year. And I uh, went to a church camp uh, they had a devotion. And at the end of the week, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do this. So I said the, the sinner's prayer on the way up the hill back to our cabin and accepted Christ there, but was never really discipled. Uh, so, uh, after that, uh, kind of drifted away and it was during, you know, my high school and then college years. And then after college, uh, that I really experienced the depression. Um, I remember the night that it became, like a full on depression. I don't remember the date, but I remember the night just sitting there. Uh, you know, a girl had rejected me and it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. And I just remember it was like I walked through this door from, you know, kind of flirting with it to actually walking in and, and just feeling the full darkness and the weight of, you know, not feeling worthy, not feeling like I was going to offer the world anything. Um, so from my junior in high school all the way until 2013, which is uh, about 15 years or so, give or take, um, I was in this deep depression where I was constantly ba battling the thoughts of suicide. Um, looking back, I think because I had accepted Christ as you know a sixth grader, there was that remnant of God still there, even though I tried to drown him out, that kept me going. It was that still small voice that the, the Bible talks about. I thought it was me being too afraid to take that final step and end the pain, but it was God just whispering, you know, take one more step, uh, take one more day, take one more week. And um, 
that whole time I used, uh, you know, comedy as a defense mechanism. If I could make somebody laugh, I could justify being alive. I could justify my existence. And if I could make somebody laugh or I crossed the line and I hurt somebody, then it was just even more that voice saying, you know, the, the enemy whispering in my ear, you know, you're not worthy. You're not worth it. You're a burden. You're a problem. And, um, so I wrestled with that for a very long time. And uh, then in 2013, I finally uh, uh, rededicated my life to the Lord and really pursued him. And that led me to leave West Virginia to come to Chicago to pursue um, improv and comedy as an actual ministry to make a difference in people's lives. Okay, good. So um, what did you, did you like found a company uh, as far as your improv ministry? Um, was that just like a side hustle? Uh, what was that? Oh, right now we do have a team. Uh, we've been kind of limited, obviously, because of the, the pandemic and, and the response to it. Um, but uh, we have a team called Wellverse Comedy. It's uh, myself and uh, four women. Uh, my wife hangs around to uh, to make sure the women don't start, you know, <laughs> I'm kidding, <laughs> but, uh, you know, um, we do uh, clean comedy together. Uh, we did some uh, virtual shows over the summer this year, uh, to, um, just try to offer a, a distraction and, uh, it's not full-time and it doesn't even really pay, but it's just an opportunity to be with like-minded people. Cause we, we hold high standards of who's in the group because we want to say we're a ministry we want to serve god we also don't want to hurt the name or hurt the gospel by um by doing something that's uh that's um either blue or 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 things like that or the way we represent ourselves on social media things like that um so technically it is a side hustle but i am hoping one day that between performing and teaching improv you know that could be where i make my living to provide for my family Let's go back uh, a little bit to uh, your earlier story about um, growing up. Uh, what's the interaction or what was at least your ex experience um, with the interaction between like humor and depression? I mean, uh, for maybe someone who doesn't, you know, doesn't really know what that's like. They Maybe they have depression. Maybe they don't feel like they have a gift of humor. Like what? what do, what did you do? What do depressed people do? Um, how do they use humor to like cover up depression or to um, help with depression? Uh, like basically how, uh, what's that experience been like? How did, how does humor and, and, and depression interact with each other? For me, and I can only speak from my own experience. And uh, one thing that I, I've noticed in talking to people is that everybody's depression is different. Everybody's battle is, is different. There are similarities, but um, there are definitely uh, differences. Uh, for me, I was always somebody that made jokes and tried to be funny. Even before I entered depression, I was the class clown. I was always trying to entertain my family. So when I hit the depression and was, you know, full of that darkness and that sadness and, you know, battling the, the self-worth and everything, me being funny was what people already knew but I always, I turned up the volume because I didn't want anybody to know what I was dealing with. It was, it was a shield 
And like I said, it was a way that I could justify my existence. If I was able to make somebody's life a little bit better by giving them some laughter, then I could justify like, Hey, I did this. I made a difference. Um, and as far as, uh, you know, my, my, uh, I don't know where I'm going with it. Sorry. I lost the train. You're of good. Um, so I use it as a defense mechanism so that people can see what was inside also to justify my existence and you know but and also the the biggest thing for me was to make sure nobody else felt the way i felt it was like me doing comedy and trying to be funny for people was me just trying to constantly put fingers in the 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 leaks you know like you know picture a wall or a dam that's that's got a bunch of leaks and i'm just putting fingers in in holes trying to stop the leaks and like okay if i i can make this person a little bit better this person a little better this a little better then i'm i'm doing something positive for the world and you know what i'm going through isn't in vain and this is you know my life from high school until 2013 yeah I can relate to that in the sense of, I I feel like a lot of depressed people kind of have this, um, this attitude where you, 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 you get kind of down on yourself and you, you know, feel like you're not worthy. Yeah. And so sometimes I feel like depressed people and I was this way can be like really, really helpful people because they don't, they don't feel worthy of help themselves, but they want to, they want to make other people's lives better. So does that sound kind of like what you were doing with the humor? Yeah, it was, like you said, it was me trying to help people out of, you know, uh, out of my pain and my, my struggle, I was doing my best to help others. Mm -hmm. If nothing else, make sure that they didn't fall in the same pit I fell in. And it's and it's very hard because there are a lot of people who are genuinely funny or are genuinely helpful like you that aren't going through that so it's it's very hard to say if you're somebody on the outside looking in are they depressed are they doing this because they're covering up and that's where it takes the intimate relationships like the relationships that jesus had with the disciples uh like the uh paul with timothy and barnabas you know those intimate relationships where you can see that there's something not right uh, when you're that, when you get that close, but depressed people, you normally keep people at their arm's length. So that's usually a sign is if everybody in a, a funny person's life or, or somebody like that is all, everybody's at arm's length and you notice that everybody's at arm's length, there might be a reason. So maybe it's time to go to a cup of coffee and just ask, how are you doing? And then they give you the fine. I'm good. I'm blessed. and highly favored. Then you say, how are you really doing? What's going on? And sometimes you'll find out that nothing, they're actually good. Other times that persistence will reveal a crack in their perceived armor of nobody's going to know how I feel, but somebody persists, you can't keep up the shield forever. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I like what you said about keeping people at arm's length, because I certainly did that. And I think a lot of people with depression do, you know, whether or not they, they have a, a gift of humor, uh, or, or not. Um, so that was one of, you know, one of the things that I want to talk to you about was, um, you know, what, what are good things for people to do for, you know, depressed people who, who maybe haven't, they haven't come out about it yet. They haven't actually opened up about it. I mean, what, um, 
maybe you, you kind of already hit on that a little bit about, you know, uh, you know, spending time with them, really being involved in their lives, really genuinely caring, um, go going for a cup of coffee, that kind of thing. Uh, beyond that, you know, is there, what do you think are more, some of the most helpful things that people who, who see someone who might be depressed can do to help that person? One of the biggest things I think is common with all depression, and as I said, nobody's experience is exactly the same. So this is more anecdotal than, you know, clinical. So, uh, and obviously I, I don't, I can't speak clinically, but usually if you see somebody that's got mostly self-deprecating humor, that's usually a big sign of somebody that's struggling that uses humor, at least in my uh, perspective. But what can you do if you suspect it? Pursue because everybody or most people that feel this weight and this depression and this darkness, they feel like they're a burden. They feel like they don't have worth. And if somebody's willing to say, you know what, you are worth it. And they're willing to fight past the, the, the walls and the fronts he put up to try to get to that point of closeness and intimacy. I think that that starts shaking the narrative because no longer can the enemy, because you and I as Christians know that when you are in that place, the enemy likes to play, you know, whisper in your ear, uh, likes to convince you of all the lies you're already thinking. So if you have somebody that's willing to shake the narrative and get close and prove that you're worth it, then it's like, wait a minute, what's true? And when you get to that point of what's true, then now there's a desire to find out what's true. And if you have somebody that's willing to walk with you uh, through that, that makes it all the difference. Now, a lot of depression is a, um, is medical where there's something wrong that can be fixed with, with medicine. There's others that can be fixed through just therapy and talking. Uh, so being there and being close, isn't going to be the cure. The cure you have to, you have to rely on, on God essentially. And either God will use medicine or God will just use healing, but uh, persistence and showing that you're willing to violate the narrative that the person in depression is believing that can create the opportunity for, for change. I've never heard violate the narrative, but I think that's a really good way uh, to put it because we do, especially depressed people, um, introverted, depressed people, you know, we can get these narratives in our heads and they become very much ingrained. Um, violating, disrupting that narrative. Uh, um, I've never heard it put that way, but I think that's really, that's what you're doing. And that's such a important part of helping somebody and, and helping someone to heal, I think. And, you know, like you said, you know, there, there might be a medical component um, yeah. either way, uh, either way. I mean, I, I have a medical component uh, with my OCD and depression but either way, I mean, help, um, you know, uh, getting in, in, into someone's life, really getting in and uh, being, you know, personal with them and uh, communicating that you, you love them, you really care for them, disrupting the narrative, uh, violating the narrative, like you said, um, that's uh, whether you, it's medical or, or not or something of both, uh, that's, that's really, really helpful um, for depressed people, I think. And uh, I want to add to that that 
there is no shame if you need the medicine to cope with it. There is no shame. Just like in, and I think that the church is coming around. I think society is starting to come around a little bit that there is always this thing that, oh, if you just do this, or if you just believe that, or if you just pray it away, that depression and mental illness will just go away. Sometimes it needs medicine, just like you wouldn't talk to a cancer patient like, well, if you just had more faith, if you just prayed more, it would just go away. You don't need the chemotherapy or the, the person that's on di diabetes medicine. You don't walk up and say, well, if you just pray, it'll go away. You don't need that medicine. The same thing for somebody that's got a medical depression that needs to be cured or treated with medicine. We shouldn't ever shame them because it took a huge step on, step on their part to be even able to ask for the medicine or for the help. So to shame them, you're just reinforcing the lies of, of Satan saying that, you know, you, you, you're failing and you, you shouldn't depend on medicine. Well, no, sometimes you do. Absolutely. I mean, I've been, uh, you know, harping on this, that exact thing for, uh, for a while. That was part of, um, you know, some of the books I've, uh, I've written. And so I love that, that you said that, um, especially the part that it, it does reinforce, you know, some of the lies that the devil is, is telling those people. Um, so no shame at all. You know, I, I agree. There's no, should never be any sort of shame. Um, it's a, you know, um, it's a physical condition as well. Yeah. So, and he's be treated as such. So I totally a hundred percent agree with that. Um, and I think you're right. I think the church is starting to come around to that. Uh, see, still see it every once in a while, but I think the church is mostly coming around to that, which makes me happy. Um, keeping in that same vein, you know, we're church people. Uh, is there something like, what do you think are some of the best things that churches kind of as more to institutional um, speaking more into institutionally, uh, is there something that churches can do uh, to help depress people in their congregation, out of their congregation, either way? I think education is one thing that churches could do uh, institutionally is if you have leaders in your church that are leading the small groups, uh, especially for larger congregations where it's not the pastor's job to minister to everybody. He ministers on Sunday, but it's the small group leaders. It's the, the, um, the ministry leaders on the smaller level that have the person-to-person -person contact. I would say that education saying, these are the signs, look for it. And then, you know, that's, that's one step. The other thing is um, teach them to be more in tune with God's, what God's speaking, because God will t tell you if there's one of his children that needs help. And if you walk by somebody, you get that, that twinge and, or you get that feeling in, in your head, like, I need to talk to that person. There's probably a reason. And even if it's a stranger and you're like, I'm too busy. If you feel that nudge, that very well could be God saying, Hey, I need you to reach out to this person because they're in a bad way. And so I think education of your leaders so that they can recognize it in their small groups. And then just everybody within the body listening for God and let him point out to you how you can help. Uh, sometimes we think that we can come up with the plans, but Proverbs tells us man makes his plans, but God directs our steps. If we more rely on God to direct our steps, then we can find those people who 
recoil into the background, who try to hide in plain sight so that nobody knows what they're going through. But God knows, and he will equip us if we're willing to go and speak to somebody and perhaps save their life, if not save their eternal, eternal life, because God was able to use us to, to minister to them. So education and just trying to sincerely be in tune with God's, God's will, I think, are the two biggest things that churches can do and people within the church can do. I think one of the, at least for me, one of the harder things is just taking the time and taking that time to listen because mm-hmm. I get so busy and I'm so caught up in the next thing I'm supposed to do. Yeah. I don't, I mean, I haven't found a great way to deal with that, to be honest. So, yeah. um, you know, uh, and these do things have, don't help. Yeah, they, they don't, um, phones don't help for sure. Uh, that's, that's one thing I, you know, I don't know about you. I try and, and try, uh, to, especially when I'm somewhere like church, yeah, try and be completely there. Um, I try not to look at my phone, you know, I think that's helpful. And one of the yeah. best ways, one of the best ways to do that is bring your physical Bible. So you're not like, oh, okay, I'll check, I'll read my Bible app. And then all of a sudden you see that little light flashing. Oh, I've got a notification. Mm-hmm. And so that's like, you're not fully there because you're you're wrestling with yourself. Do I look at the notification or not? If you have your physical Bible, you turn the pages, you're not even needing to touch your phone. So right. that way you can be fully there in the moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's, that's another place I feel is like, I rely on my phone too much. And as the you know, pastor says, turn a loop three and you're flipping. And then all of a sudden you see, you know, so-and-so commented on your photo. What did they say? And it's like, all of a sudden I'm wrestling, like, no, I'm in church. I'm in church. I need to focus. And now I'm missing the message because I'm not fully there. So that would be just yeah. a random suggestion I have. No, I think that's good though, because I think that's a huge, I mean, you may disagree. I don't know, but I think it is a huge issue just as society in general. Um, and especially, you know, if we're going to be the body of Christ, we're going to be the light of the world. Uh, we need to connect with other people. That's my opinion. We really need to do that and do the best we can at it. Um, you know, when we have church services, whether that's Sunday morning or Wednesday or whatever, uh, those are, those are connection opportunities. And that's extremely, in my opinion, extremely important, not just for connection within the church, that is extremely important, but you know, anybody else who may not, who just may be visiting um, in, in our, you know, I'm sure you've seen these statistics, but there's alarming statistics I've found about loneliness in our, in our society. Um, I've seen up to like 75% of people say they have at least some degree of loneliness, according yeah. to, um, you know, like Cigna surveys. And, and uh, there was another um, fairly reputable um, site I saw that on. And so that really, really, is a, is a burden for me is, is how do we, I think the church really needs to lead the way in um, combating that loneliness and the phones. I mean, it's legitimate. I think the phones don't, don't help. Um, You're, you're connected to everyone and yet you're, you know, far away from everyone all at the same time with the phones. And, uh, and, and that's, we need to be able to be like with people um, face to face and, you know, be with them and, you know, COVID aside. Um, uh, but 
uh, yeah. So I appreciate that you you brought up the phone thing because it's if we're gonna you know combat this all these things, then we've got to uh, at least be able to take our eyes off our off our phone and not be distracted by it. Um, at least when we're you know in some some of those more social settings uh, where we can make a difference and get to know some people who we may not otherwise get to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts there? Uh, as far as, um, you know, listening to that still voice, you may not have any, I don't know, but just wanted to, just in case you did. I, I think that it can't be understated or it can't be overstated how important it is to find a way to listen to that still small voice. Cause like you said, you know, we're so busy. There's so much going on. So many things on social media, you have friends, uh, spouses that are like, Hey, did you see this post? And it's like, there's so much going on. And during the pandemic, you know, we were stuck at home and that eliminated my commute to work, but it still felt like I was even busier during that time and had less time, even though I didn't have two hours in the car on my way to and from work. Uh, so it's finding time to shut everything down. Um, a lot of people look at Lent and, and you know, that season. Um, I'm not Catholic, but that will be a good time to say, hey, I'm going to stay off social media for these 40 days and really seek God and develop that still small voice. And you don't have to wait until Lent to do that. You don't have to wait until the end of this podcast. Just log off, delete the app off your phone and just say, if it's important, I'll check it. And once a night for an hour, I'll see what's on anything important people can tag me in it and then i'll log off um it, it did a wonder for my wife and i we fasted and we deleted the apps off our phones for uh for a time and you know we got to reconnect and we weren't looking at our phone we were looking at each other so really consider where you can cut back and eliminate the loud voices so the still small voice can be heard a little bit more clear that's good I, it takes a lot of discipline to be able to yeah. do what you said. And I think that's why it's so, so difficult. Um, you know, I've been trying to do kind of the, kind of the same thing. It just, you know, I'm just gonna, I try to use my time like to the utmost um, potential. And so I try and basically kind of make sure every second is, use the best way possible. And that's not saying I'm always working. Sometimes that means I'm resting. I'm just spending time with my wife. Mm. I'm just spending time with my kid, just kind of like what you were saying. Sometimes that's the absolute best thing for me and for everybody else around me. Um, but, uh, you know, especially with, with uh, some uh, a smart computer sitting in your um, back pocket all the time, it's, it takes a lot of discipline to uh, be able to say, no, you know, it's not that important, you know, I'll, I can check it just once, you know, tonight and later and, and then that'll be okay. Um, takes a lot of discipline and that's a hard thing to do. Um, yeah. Okay, uh, let's um, end out with um, any other uh, words of encouragement, especially for people who are uh, suffering from depression or they know someone who's suffering from depression or they just wanna be, you know, a light to people who are suffering with depression. Sure. For somebody that if you have uh, somebody in your life that is struggling, that you know that they're struggling with depression, it is not your job to save them. It is not your job to cure them or fix them. All you have to do is, uh, is love them and be there for them. 
uh, it's like with any trauma or anything that they're going through, like you are not responsible to cure somebody's cancer. You're not responsible to cure somebody's diabetes. With this, it's not your job to save them and make them see the light. It's your job to be the light and be present. And if, you know, Lord forbid, if somebody you know commits suicide and dies by suicide, it's not your fault. You weren't the one responsible. So I just want to take those, that burden off of people. It's not your job to save and it's not your fault if they weren't saved. And for <clears> people who are struggling with depression, I know that it's very hard to reach out to people that you know, people close to you, people that um, that may have preconceived notions or, or things like that. You feel afraid or feel shame of asking for help. Uh, so for me, every time I do an interview, I offer my email address for anybody that's struggling with depression or suicidal thoughts. If you need someone that will be a listening ear, email me and you, you could just, I call it verbal diarrhea. Just let it roll, you know, roll onto the uh, email and let me know what's going on. I'm not going to shoot a bunch of pre-selected Bible verses. I just want to be there to walk through this path with you. Uh, so that you don't, so you're not alone because you're not. And I just want to be that objective voice to, to walk with you through this instead of maybe going to somebody that, you know, and I just want to be a friend. So uh, my email address is Dave at gifts Dave at gifts, the number four glory.com goes directly to my my phone we just talked about, but uh, for that, that's definitely an exception. So if you need to email somebody just to get it out and talk to somebody, I want to be that person if you need. Yeah. Um, thank you. That's, that's powerful. And uh, I don't think it's stated enough what you said about it's not your, it's not your fault um, to people who are trying to help others. You only have so much control. Um, yeah. So, and even if you're praying, even if you're doing your best to help them. Um, so I appreciate you bringing that up. I don't hear that a whole lot. And um, so I think it's it's good to, to bring that into the conversation. Um, this has been good. Uh, it's been good and powerful. Uh, I really hope that if you're listening, that you um, got something out of this and, and um, can help other people. You can you can reach out. Uh, I pray that you will have the um, the perseverance to reach out to to others if you're struggling um, you know, uh, people, it, it's hard, but, um, if you're struggling with depression, OCD, like I do, um, any anxiety disorders, you need some help, reach out, uh, take a step, just take that step, even though it's really difficult, um, take that blind leap of faith and it can really do some amazing things for you. So, uh, this has been really good. Dave, thanks so much for uh, taking the time to, um, talk with me and, um, God bless your ministry, man. God bless your ministry. Thanks so much. It's, it's been a pleasure. It's been a great talking to you.